Chapter Twenty Two of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter Twenty Two. Shows how Mr. Van Brunt could be sharp upon some things. To Ellen's sorrow, she was pronounced next morning well enough to come downstairs. Her aunt averring that it was no use to keep a fire burning up there for nothing. She must get up and dress in the cold again, and winter had fairly set in now. The nineteenth of December rose clear and keen. Ellen looked sighingly at the heap of ashes and the dead brands in the fireplace, where the bright little fire had blazed so cheerfully the evening before. But regrets did not help the matter, and shivering she began to dress as fast as she could. Since her illness, a basin and pitcher had been brought into her room, so the washing at the spout was ended for the present. And though the basin had no place but a chair, and the pitcher must stand on the floor, Ellen thought herself too happy. But how cold it was! The wind swept past her windows, giving wintry shakes to the panes of glass, and through many an opening in the wooden framework of the house it came in and saluted Ellen's bare arms and neck. She hurried to finish her dressing, and wrapping her double gown over all, went down to the kitchen. It was another climate there. A great fire was burning that it quite cheered Ellen's heart to look at, and the air seemed to be full of coffee and buckwheat cakes. Ellen almost thought she should get enough breakfast by the sense of smell. Ah, here you are, said Miss Fortune. What have you got that thing on for? It was so cold upstairs, said Ellen, drawing up her shoulders. The warmth had not gotten inside her wrapper yet. Well, tain't cold here. You'd better pull it off right away. I've no notion of people's making themselves tender. You'll be warm enough directly. Breakfast'll warm you. Ellen felt almost inclined to quarrel with the breakfast that was offered in exchange for her comfortable wrapper. She pulled it off, however, and sat down without saying anything. Mr. Van Brunt put some cakes on her plate. If breakfast's a goin' to warm you, said he, make haste and get something down, or drink a cup of coffee. You're as blue as skim milk. Am I? said Ellen, laughing. I feel blue, but I can't eat such a pile of cakes as that, Mr. Van Brunt. As a general thing, the meals at Miss Fortune's were silent solemnities. An occasional consultation, or a few questions and remarks about farm affairs, being all that ever passed. The breakfast this morning was a singular exception to the common rule. I'm in a regular quandary, said the mistress of the house when the meal was about half over. Mr. Van Brunt looked up for an instant and asked, What about? Why, how am I ever going to do to get those apples and sausage meat done? If I go to doing em myself, I shall about get through by spring. Why don't you make a bee? said Mr. Van Brunt. Ain't enough of either on em to make it worth while. I ain't a going to have all the bother of a bee without something to show for it. Turn em both into one, suggested her counselor, going on with his breakfast. Both. Yes. Let em pare apples in one room and cut pork in t'other. But I wonder who ever heard of such a thing before, said Miss Fortune, pausing with her cup of coffee halfway to her lips. Presently, however, it was carried to her mouth, drunk off, and set down with an air of determination. I don't care, said she, if it never was heard of. I'll do it for once, anyhow. I'm not one of them to care what folks say. I'll have it so. But I won't have em to tea, mind you. I'd rather throw apples and all into the fire at once. I'll have but one plague of setting tables, and that. I won't have em to tea. I'll make it up to em in the supper, though. I'll take care to publish that, said Mr. Van Brunt. Don't you go and do such a thing, said Miss Fortune earnestly. I shall have the whole country on my hands. I won't have but just as many on em as'll do what I want done. That'll be as much as I can stand under. 
Don't you whisper a word of it to a living creature. I'll go round and ask him myself to come Monday evening. Monday evening. Then I suppose you'd like to have up the sleigh this afternoon. Who's a-coming? I don't know. I hadn't asked him yet. Though every soul come that's asked, that you may depend, there ain't one on em that would miss of it for a dollar. Miss Fortune bridled a little at the implied tribute to her housekeeping. If I was some folks, I wouldn't let people know I was in such a mighty hurry to get a good supper, she observed, rather scornfully. Humph, said Mr. Van Brunt. I think a good supper ain't a bad thing, and I've no objection to folks knowing it. Pshaw! I didn't mean you, said Miss Fortune. I was thinking of those Lawsons and other folks. If you're going to ask them to your bee, you ain't of my mind. Well, I am, though, replied Miss Fortune. There's a good many hands of em. They can turn off a good lot of work in an evening, and they always take care to get me to their bees. I may as well get something out of them in return, if I can. They'll reckon on getting as much as they can get o' you, if they come. There's no sort of doubt in my mind. It's my belief Mimy Lawson will kill herself some of these days upon green corn. She was at home to tea one day last summer, and declare I thought— What Mr. Van Brunt thought, he left his hearers to guess. Well, let them kill themselves if they like, said Miss Fortune. I am sure I am willing. There'll be enough. I ain't a-going to mince manners when once I begin. Now let me see. There's five of the Lawsons to begin with. I suppose they'll all come. Bill Huff and Janey, that's seven. That Bill Huff is as good-natured a fellow as ever broke ground, remarked Mr. Van Brunt. Ain't better people in the town than them Huffs are. They're well enough, said Miss Fortune. Seven. And the Hitchcocks, there's three of them. That'll make ten. Dennison's ain't far from there, said Mr. Van Brunt. Dan Dennison's a fine hand at almost anything, indoors or out. That's more than you can say for a sister. Seely Dennison gives herself so many airs, it's altogether too much for plain country folks. I should like to know what she thinks herself. It's almost too much for my stomach to see her flourishing that watch and chain. What's the use of troubling yourself about other people's notions, said Mr. Van Brunt. If folks want to take the road, let them have it. That's my way. I'm satisfied, provided they don't run me over. Taint my way, then, I'd have you to know, said Miss Fortune. I despise it, and taint your way neither, Van Brunt. What did you give Tom Larkins a cow-hiding for? Cause he deserved it, if ever a man did, said Mr. Van Brunt, quite rousing up. He was treating that little brother of his'n in a way a boy shouldn't be treated, and I am glad I did it. I gave him notice to quit before I laid a finger on him. He weren't doing nothing to me. And how much good do you suppose it did, said Miss Fortune, rather scornfully. It did just the good I wanted to do. He has seen fit to let little Billy alone ever since. Well, I guess I'll let the Denisons come, said Miss Fortune. That makes twelve. And you and your mother are fourteen. I suppose that man Marshchalk will come dangling along after the Hitchcocks. To be sure he will, and his aunt, Miss Janet, will come with him, most likely. Well, there's no help for it, said Miss Fortune. That makes sixteen. Will you ask Miss Alice? Not I. She's another of your proud set. I don't want to see anybody that thinks she's going to do me a great favor by coming. Ellen's lips opened, but wisdom came in time to stop the words that were on her tongue. It did not, however, prevent the quick little turn of her head, which showed what she thought, and the pale cheeks were for a moment bright enough. She is, and I don't care who hears it, repeated Miss Fortune. I suppose she'd look as sober as a judge, too, if she saw cider on the table. They say she won't touch a drop ever, and thinks it's wicked, and if that ain't setting one's self up for better than other folks, I don't know what is. I saw her paring apples at the huffs, though, said Mr. Van Brunt, and as pleasant as anybody, but she didn't stay to supper. 
"'I'd ask Mrs. Voss if I could get words to her,' said Miss Fortune. "'But I can never travel up that mountain. "'If I get a sight of Nancy, I'll tell her.' "'There she is, then,' said Mr. Van Brunt, "'looking towards the little window that opened into the shed. "'And there, indeed, was the face of Miss Nancy, "'pressed flat against the glass, peering into the room. "'Miss Fortune beckoned to her. "'That is the most impudent, shameless, outrageous piece of— "'What were you doing at the window?' she asked as Nancy came in. "'Looking at you, Miss Fortune,' said Nancy coolly. "'What have you been talking about this great while? "'If there had only been a pane of glass broken, I needn't have asked.' "'Hold your tongue,' said Miss Fortune, "'and listen to me.' "'I'll listen, ma'am,' said Nancy. "'But it's no use to hold my tongue. "'I do try sometimes, but I could never keep it long. "'Have you done?' "'I don't know, ma'am,' said Nancy, shaking her head. "'It's just as it happens.' "'You tell your granny I'm going to have a bee here next Monday evening, "'and ask her if she'll come to it.' "'Nancy nodded. "'If it's good weather,' she added conditionally. "'Stop, Nancy,' said Miss Fortune. "'Here,' for Nancy was shutting the door behind her. "'And sure as you come here Monday night with your grandma, "'you'll go out of the house quicker than you come in. "'See if you don't.' "'With another gracious nod and smile, Nancy departed. "'Well,' said Mr. Van Brunt, rising, "'I'll dispatch this business downstairs, "'and then I'll bring up the sleigh. "'The pickle's ready, I suppose.' "'No, it ain't,' said Miss Fortune. "'I couldn't make it yesterday, but it's all in the kettle, "'and I told Sam to make a fire downstairs.' "'so you could put it on when you go down. "'The kits are all ready, and the salt, and everything else.' "'Mr. Van Brunt went down the stairs that led to the lower kitchen, "'and Miss Fortune, to make up for lost time, "'set about her morning's work with even an uncommon measure of activity. "'Ellen, in consideration of her being still weak, "'was not required to do anything. "'She sat and looked on, keeping out of the way of her bustling aunt "'as far as it was possible.' But Miss Fortune's gyrations were of that character that no one could tell five minutes beforehand what she might consider in the way. Ellen wished for her quiet room again. Mr. Van Brunt's voice sounded downstairs in tones of business. What could he be about? It must be very uncommon business that kept him in the house. Ellen grew restless with the desire to go and see, and to change her aunt's company for his. And no sooner was Miss Fortune fairly shut up in the buttery at some secret work— then Ellen gently opened the door at the head of the lower stairs, and looked down. Mr. Van Brunt was standing at the bottom, and looked up. "'May I come down there, Mr. Van Brunt?' said Ellen softly. "'Come down here? To be sure you may. You may always come straight where I am, without asking any questions.' Ellen went down, but before she reached the lowest step she stopped with almost a start, and stood fixed with such a horrified face that neither Mr. Van Brunt nor Sam Larkins, who was there, could help laughing." "'What's the matter?' said the former. "'They're all dead enough, Miss Ellen. You needn't be scared.' Three enormous hogs, which had been killed the day before, greeted Ellen's eyes. They lay in different parts of the room, with each a cob in his mouth. A fourth lay stretched upon his back on the kitchen table, which was drawn out into the middle of the floor. Ellen stood fast on the stair. "'Have they been killed?' was her first astonished exclamation, to which Sam responded with another burst. "'Be quiet, Sam Larkins,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'Yes, Miss Ellen, they've been killed, sure enough. "'Are these the same pigs I used to see you feeding with corn, Mr. Van Brunt?' "'The identical same ones,' replied that gentleman, "'as laying hold of the head of the one on the table, "'and applying his long, sharp knife with the other hand, "'he, while he was speaking, severed it neatly and quickly away from the trunk. "'And very fine porkers they are. I ain't ashamed of em. "'And what's going to be done with them now?' said Ellen. "'I'm just going to cut them up and lay them down. "'You never see nothing of the kind before, did you?' "'No,' said Ellen. "'What do you mean by laying them down, Mr. Van Brunt?' 
why laying em down in salt for pork and hams you want to see the whole operation don't you well here's a seat for you you'd better fetch that painted coat of yourn and wrap round you for it ain't quite so warm here as upstairs but it's getting warmer sam you just shut that door too and throw on another log sam built up as large a fire as could be made under a very large kettle that hung in the chimney when ellen came down in her wrapper she was established close in the chimney corner and when mr van brunt not thinking her quite safe from the keen currents of air that would find their way into the room dispatched sam for an old buffalo robe that lay in the shed this he himself with great care wrapped around her feet and chair and all and secured it in various places with old forks he declared then she looked for all the world like an indian except her face and in high good humour both he went to cutting up the pork and ellen from out of her buffalo robe watched him it was beautifully done even ellen could see that although she could not have known if it had been done ill the knife guided by strength and skill seemed to go with the greatest ease and certainty just where he wished it the hams were beautifully trimmed out the pieces fashioned clean no ragged cutting and his quick-going knife disposed of carcass after carcass with admirable neatness and celerity sam meanwhile arranged the pieces in different parcels at his direction and minded the kettle in which a great boiling and scumming was going on ellen was too amused for a while to ask any questions when the cutting up was all done the hams and shoulders were put in a cask by themselves and mr van brunt began to pack down the other pieces in the kits strewing them with an abundance of salt what's the use of putting all that salt with the pork mr van brunt said ellen it wouldn't keep good without that it would spoil very quick will the salt make it keep all the year round as sweet as a nut i wonder what is the reason of that said ellen will salt make everything keep good everything in the world if it only has enough of it and is kept dry and cool are you going to do the hams in the same way no they're to go in that pickle over the fire in this kettle what is in it said ellen you must ask miss fortune about that sugar and salt and saltpetre and molasses and i don't know what all and will this make the ham so different from the rest of the pork no they've got to be smoked after they have laid in that for a while smoked said ellen how why han't you been in the smoke-house the hams has to be taken out of the pickle and hung up there and then we make a little fire of oak chips and keep it burning night and day and how long must they stay in the smoke oh three or four weeks or so and then they are done then they are done how very curious said ellen then it's the smoke that gives them that nice taste i never knew smoke was good for anything before ellen said the voice of miss fortune from the top of the stairs come right up here this minute you'll catch your death ellen's countenance fell there's no sort of fear of that ma'am said mr van brunt quietly and miss ellen is fastened up so she can't get loose and i can't let her out just now the upper door was shut again pretty sharply but that was the only audible expression of opinion with which miss fortune favoured them i guess my leather curtains keep off the wind don't they said mr van brunt yes indeed they do said ellen i don't feel a breath i am as warm as a toast too warm almost how nicely you have fixed me up mr van brunt i thought that ere old buffalo had done its work he said but i'll never say anything is good for nothing again have you found out where the apples are yet no said ellen han't miss fortune showed you well it's time you'd know sam take that little basket and go fill it at the bin i guess you know where they be for i believe you put em there sam went into the cellar and presently returned with a basket nicely filled he handed it to ellen are all these for me she said in surprise every one on em said mr van brunt 
"'But I don't like to,' said Ellen. "'What will Aunt Fortune say?' "'She won't say a word,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'And don't you say a word neither. "'But whenever you want apples, just go to the bin and take them. "'I give you leave. "'It's right at the end of the far cellar, at the left-hand corner. "'There are bins and all sorts of apples in them. "'You've got a pretty variety there, haven't you?' "'Oh, all sorts,' said Ellen. "'And what beauties! "'And I love apples very much. "'Red and yellow and speckled and green. "'What a great monster!' "'That's a swore. "'That ain't as good as most of the others. "'Those are seek no furthers.' "'Seek no further?' said Ellen. "'What a funny name. "'It ought to be a mighty good apple. "'I shall seek no further at any rate. "'What is this?' "'That's as good an apple as you've got in the basket. "'That's a real Orson Pippin, a very fine kind. "'I'll fetch you some up from home some day, though, "'that are better than the best of these.' "'The pork was all packed, the kettle was lifted off the fire, "'and Mr. Van Brunt was wiping his hands from the salt.' "'And now I suppose I must go,' said Ellen, with a little sigh. "'Why, I must go,' said he, "'so I suppose I may as well let you out of your tent first. "'I have had such a nice time,' said Ellen. "'I had got so tired of doing nothing upstairs. "'I am very much obliged to you, Mr. Van Brunt.' "'But,' said she, stopping as she had taken up her basket to go, "'aren't you going to put the hams in the pickle?' "'No,' said he, laughing. "'It must wait to get cold first. "'But you'll make a capital farmer's wife, there's no mistake.' Ellen blushed, and ran upstairs with her apples. To bestow them safely in her closet was her first care. The rest of the morning was spent in increasing weariness and listlessness. She had brought down her little hymn-book, thinking to amuse herself with learning a hymn, but it would not do. Eisen had both refused their part of the work. And when at last Mr. Van Brunt came into a late dinner, he found Ellen seated flat on the hearth before the fire— her right arm curled round the hard wooden bottom of one of the chairs, and her head pillowed upon that, fast asleep. "'Bless my soul,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'What's become of that ear rocking cheer?' "'It's upstairs, I suppose. You can fetch it if you've a mind to,' answered Miss Fortune, dryly enough. He did so immediately, and Ellen barely waked up to feel herself lifted from the floor, and placed in the friendly rocking-chair, Mr. Van Brunt remarking, at the same time, that it might be well enough to let folks lie on the floor and sleep on cheers, but cushions weren't a bit too soft for sick ones. Among the cushions Ellen went to sleep again, with a much better prospect of rest, and either sleeping or dozing passed away the time for a good while. End of chapter 22